With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we left off in 653-ish somewhere. Um, you know, talking about Jesus says specifically, to quote, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, you can just see the crowd's head spinning at that point. Because again, you know, I think I mentioned last week, you know, it's pretty strict Jewish law. No blood. They're thinking cannibalism. Yes, as the Romans did. And why uh, they, they had so much fun persecuting Christians because we've got to get the cannibals out of here. Right? So, but Jesus said that specifically. And again, this is way before the crucifixion, the resurrection, and all of that. So he's already preparing them for what, what is to come. So he says that in, in 53. So by the time we get to 57 and 58, you know, he goes into a, a little more detail here in describing himself as, as the bread. So unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and then he says, by the way, I am the Son of Man. So what is Jesus saying about eating his body and specifically when he says, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. What, what does that mean to our lives today? What's, what's the practical application of that? One who reads the Bible and dwells in his word. Yeah, feeds on feeding his word. His, his leadership. Okay. Believing in him. Okay, you got to believe in it. you gotta, you got to read about him. you got to study. you got to... Absorb him. Okay. Never thought of that word. That's an interesting word. Because yeah, what Jesus is describing is just what we did. Eat. Right? Ingest for the process of absorbing. Uh, synthesizing. Uh, <laughs> uh, assimilating. Uh, words such as that. Uh, by the time we get to chapter 16 where Jesus is talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you decide to cut yourself off from me, you're laying on the ground and dying. So you have to stay attached to me. So that's why Jesus so often, I mean, even in this chapter, several times he's already said, you've got to come to me. And now he's saying, for the purpose of feeding on me. Does that have Eucharist overtones? Oh, I would sure think so. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're familiar with the with, with with the preacher's term Eucharist, aren't you? That yeah, they, the the Lutherans like to use that that, that that term. But what we would call Holy Holy Communion is is that yeah the, the sacred process. So that's why it's one of our only two sacraments, because Jesus makes such a big deal about it. At the Last Supper, he says you've got to do this. Here he's saying you've got to do that. So all we're doing is doing what Jesus says, and literally ingesting Jesus. Now that's symbolic in the sense that we are bringing Jesus into literally our lives. 
So it's more than just a thought in your head. It's, it's, it's bringing Jesus into you, which means that you, are, you have been willing to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is not going to force you. He is readily available. And it only takes one step on your part to get there, but you have to make that step. He holds us accountable to make that step. We have to be responsible to make that step. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So yes, that brings up just the, you know, the, the nutrition of food. You have to eat to, to live. You have to drink to live, right? So that's what he's saying. That when we feed on him, on his word, follow the Holy Spirit, you know, all of that, when we do what we need to do, we will live forever because of him. Not because of me, but because of him. Which kind of you know, harkens back to a conversation we, we had last week was, you know, the out there, the, the wild and crazy concepts people come up with, with of their understanding of Jesus and just start making stuff up. I was having a conversation with Carolyn earlier, and uh, she she was recalling a couple people she she's known here lately that uh, their their religion is you just have to be good. Have, have you not come across that people? And it's so funny you don't even ask, and people tell you. <laughs> And then all I have to do is be good, therefore I don't have to go to church, I don't have to do anything, I just have to be good. By whose definition? Mine. I define what is good, and I guarantee you, I will define what is good, I will look at the world as a whole. I will go to 50%, and I will add one more percent. <laughs> I will put myself in the 51st percentile. I am better than the majority. I'm better than 49%, therefore, I am good enough. Unfortunately, they've got it. They just haven't accepted Jesus. And that's, oh. that's the whole point of this book. I mean, did not Jesus just say to us that you have to believe in me? When the crowd asked him, what are we supposed to do? One thing. Yeah, they're doing right living, they're doing everything right, except... But for the wrong reason. Yeah. You see? Yeah. The, 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 the intention with God is the most important thing. So in fact, the results are not as important as the, I guess for lack of a better phrase, the sincerity of heart one puts into it. You're rewarded more for that than you are the perfect execution of whatever you're trying to do. If you're doing it for the right reason and still fail, you still get maximum bonus points with God. See how it works? That's way different than your job, isn't it? <laughs> right. So it, do, it doesn't work that way in any other field of life. It only works that way with God. But how many times do we see that? I mean, how many times does Jesus dispute and dispel the way we were brought up, the way we've been taught? You know, I know you were taught this, but no, you need to understand this, right? Knife for knife for tooth for tooth and murdering people and all that kind of stuff. So all that's out the window. The way you've learned it is, is not good enough anymore. So we're going to add a whole new dimension to this, and that's that's what he's doing here. And he's 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 that message indeed is greatly offensive to the culture. It was in his day, and it will be in our our day as well. And that's what we we're talking about last week. Was you know when you go up and have a conversation with somebody, and you give them a chance to ask a question, and probably the question will come around that: Do I have to believe in Jesus to be saved? That was the the. 
the question that is always asked and always will be asked. People want to know, and that's they leave it wide open. Pentecost, exact same question. What do I have to do? Believe in Jesus. <laughs> and then expect in response, well, I already believe in God. Right? Just some generic, nebulous God. Again, by my own formulation as to what I want this God to be. And that's where you gotta you gotta bring it back. No, it's specifically Jesus. Because if anybody says, I already believe in God, I guarantee you there's a comma there, and I am already good. <laughs> Guaranteed. For those who use the term, I, I already believe in God, that is the basis of what they're saying. So I just believe in a generic God, and I know God wants me to be good, therefore I am. All religions believe in a God. Precisely. And that's why it has to be specific with Jesus. It has to be specific in the sense of relationship. Even the devils believe. Even, even, even the demons believe and they shudder. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. They know. They, uh, um, so this is a spiritual thing. They know it. Why don't we? So once we know it, then that's the message we share. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, coming back to John 3.16 again. See how it works? Because that, that involves sin, involves salvation, involves Jesus. There's your trifecta of witnessing. Those are your three, three focal points. Your tripod upon which everything else is erected. That's how it goes. So we have to continually feed on Jesus. Now, let's just use a practical example. Let's say that you got tired of eating. <laughs> Stay with me here. Let, let, let's just, just pretend. <laughs> pretend there comes a time in life when you get tired of eating and you say that I am only going to eat once every yeah four weeks <laughs> what would happen to your body yep now apply that same principle to Jesus I only want to connect with Jesus I only want to be with Jesus I only want to to associate with Jesus once a month The effect spiritually is exactly the same. And that's why Jesus says, you've got to feed on me. Sure, eat all the pizza you want, but I got the spiritual food that you need. Go ahead, Jay. I have a question in reference to communion. Well, well we partake of all this. Now, some religions want communion every day, some want every week, some every two, twice a month, once a month. What's, uh, what's your opinion of that? That's such a good question. I appreciate your 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 asking my 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 input. Um, the early church celebrated communion every night because what they were doing was a common meal 
hundreds and thousands of people gathered for a meal and the goal was everybody was supposed to bring somebody so it was a form of teaching indoctrination this is who we are this is what we do you think we're cannibals well let me explain that we're not and this is why so it began that way um, indeed some 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 churches do it every week there are Methodist churches that do it every week there are other denominations that do it every week Catholics of course do it every week twice twice on Sunday maybe I don't know but you know it's so I think the the system we have of once a month Christmas Eve Monday Thursday in addition I think that might be it so generally 14 times a year is a is a good average I, I believe I, I know you if, if we did it every every week it would become so so rote so standardized so yeah I mean just close your eyes your eyes roll back in your head and, and just uh, just uh, you know and doing it doing it less would probably signify it's not that important so I, I think where we're at is a, is, a, is a healthy balance I mean I could I could be easily talked into doing it a little less I could be talked into doing it a little more not too much either way there's nothing in our conference that says you have no. to do it no. a certain amount of time no some, some churches have it once a year first of the year, once a year. right so you have literally the, the, the spectrum of once a year and every week and then everything in between. And yes, every, every church decides uh, what, who we are and what, what, what we would find beneficial. And that's, that's what to do. We, it was a conversation we had many, many years ago. It was actually a question I, I posed to the council quite a number of years ago because I, I, I was curious and just wanted to make sure that we identified ourselves the way we wanted to identify ourselves. And we had a long, long, healthy discussion about that, and then we decided, yeah, the way we're doing it is, is what we want, and I'm real good with that. So, but yeah, it's whatever. Now, that much said, we do it once a month, but I do it three times that Sunday. <laughs> right? So you can you can do it as much as you want or as little as you want. I mean, literally. So I guess you could say you can't overdose on communion. <laughs> Good news, right? That, 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 that really works, works, works out well. But it's, the, the goal is to give each of us the opportunity to make this personal, to make this meaningful. And again, you know, if you do it too much, it's going to become meaningless if we don't do it often enough it's going to be meaningless as well because you know so you put value in it so there's an answer <laughs> you know and as, as as a church develops over the course of time that's certainly a worthy conversation to 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 bring up every 10 10 15 years and take take a pulse and see 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 where people are at um but no i've had a lot of opportunity to, to, to think about that, and that is my conscientious answer of the day. Um, but again, you know, I get it. I get it three times. So, and you know, now that it would be really not good if I only picked one service to to take communion at personally. 
right? Because the other, see, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, 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 be be honest. When you come in Sunday morning to your service, do you really think about the other two services? <laughs> Yeah, and that's see if I if if I and that's why I just had communion at the last service. You know, there would be a riot in the streets, right? That I'm not having communion with you, right? We're we're, we're we are the body of Christ. No, I go to the last service. It'd be fine. Yeah, it would be fine. <laughs> More for me. And which, by the way, just to tip you off, February, dun dun dun, we're having Hawaiian bread. Have you ever had Hawaiian bread? It's a real sweet bread. We, we had that with, with, with Andrew and Dave, I don't know, four, six months ago when we were down there. And it is, it, it, that, that in, the, in, in the grape juice is this an incredible combination. I, I mean, we're going to see a lot of smiles on your faces. That, that, I mean, it's, so I told suitors it was, they, they had some on it twice. I said, go stock up. <laughs> because, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's really, really good stuff. And, you know, and that, that's part of it as well that I think, yeah, I've been thinking about doing this as well. That each month have a different kind of bread. I mean, demonstrating just the the universality of the gospel for all colors of skin and nationalities and and all of that. That it just might might be a further symbol of what what we're trying to do. What do you think, Jimmer? We're not going back to the wafers. Anymore. No. Well, I <laughs> the, the, he was at, he's asking about the wafers. Remember the wafers? We we, we had that at the high school. Oh, oh. Unless they're sugar wafers, we don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> How, did, how does that company stay in business turning out a product like that? How? It gets stuck to the roof of your mouth. And, I mean, it is just, man. It was hard to sing the next song. Oh, what the, <laughs> Yeah, it just, hilarious. Gary, you were going to say something. We missed our January. Yes, we did. My pastor was on vacation. Yep. You know, for for two weeks. So at that point, then again, we'll just we'll we'll. That's why we're having the good. That's why you're having a good bread in February. I'm not making, making, making up for it. <laughs> so we can get forgiveness. I'm gonna run you through it twice next month. That's right. Yeah, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than than permission. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's I think what what we're thinking. But like I say, it's, there's no no uh, corporate. Uh, edict defining that at all. Every every church is is up up to your own to do that. And the same thing with wine and grape juice. Yes. Well, that's a little more defined. Um, now this was probably back in the '60s. Uh, that became more of a not so much an order, but a very strong recommendation to to use grape juice. Uh, for the simple fact of if a recovering alcoholic is in the congregation, um, that might be enough just to tip them over the edge. Uh, so, especially in churches where they're drinking out of the goblet and stuff, a guy just, oh, just you know, downs the whole thing or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, that was more of a safety, just a courtesy to to others. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we will we will never never use wine wine. No. All right, so get through that that segment. And finally, verse 59, all this has been said while he's still teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. That's where we started. So we've been through a lot. Now, 
verse 60. The fun starts. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Referring to eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? And again, in that culture, with what they knew, you would have said the same thing. Now, keep in mind that then John identifies that very early on. There was the 12 disciples and then a number of others who were consistently following Jesus, also called disciples. So you have so oftentimes you will see it distinguished as the 12 or the whole group that is just called the disciples. So a lot of disciples are, are, are following. But keep in mind that even one of the disciples, one of the twelve, Judas, never does come to believe and eventually betrays Jesus. Because verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. So he's commenting to the group who is consistently following him. Now, who does that and doesn't believe? So, we've talked about this before. Let's see if you can connect these two dots. What would be the motivation for someone to follow Jesus and not believe? Why would anyone do that? They thought that he might be a commander to take over the Romans. Okay, something to that effect. What are you saying, Andy? They're trying to get something out of it, out of it to benefit themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm, I'm just looking at a modern day. A lot of people view it as a almost a good luck charm or a good luck. The fact that as a favor, a lot of times, you know, they figure it doesn't. They don't even not following the motion, but by going with it, at least they know. They look at almost as a, a, a lucky coin or a good luck charm. Jesus is a good guy, so exactly. if I hang out with him by association, I, I'm, I'm a good guy. Follow, hopefully not bad. Okay. Popular crowd. Okay. Mm-hmm. Part of the part of the in crowd. <laughs> Still something else I'm looking for. Gary. Okay, a few spies. Okay. They were trying to catch him and they were going to try to arrest him once they caught him. We'll see that really develop in chapter 7. At one point they were following him just because of the bread. At one point they said, All right, now you're on to something. They were looking at the tangible, the fact that he made bread the first time. They were basically coming back for a second meal. So, what do you call what he did with the bread? And remember our conversation virtually every week that miracles do not result in faith. You stick with Jesus to see a greater miracle. And that's what he's got. So it's quite a quite a mixture. So you have those who believe, those who don't. Um, let's call those who don't curiosity seekers. Yeah. Right? Uh yeah, those who you know, are just around to see something incredible. 
So they know Jesus is capable. They're just waiting to see now the next big thing that he does. Some of the disciples respond, some don't. But that's the way it has always been. Verse 64, Jesus defines that some of the disciples do not believe at this time. It even notes that one of those disciples doesn't believe to the point he's going to betray him. He makes it abundantly clear. And then verse 66, after hearing all this hard stuff, many of these additional disciples, not the twelve, they leave Jesus. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So again, we're in the last year of the three. You, you always thought that this just kept building and building and building and building, right? Now this tank big time. And we're just about back now to the original 12 at this point. So verse 67, Jesus is going to specifically address the 12. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Now that, that's a question asking to signify faith. You're not going to leave, are you? Expecting a response of, no, Jesus. We know you and we believe in you. And we will, we will stay. Of course, Simon Peter, the spokesperson for the group. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now there's a good sermon. If not to you, Jesus, where would we go? Because you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. So we started off this whole chapter with the best question ever. And now we conclude with the best answer ever. You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, this is, this is critical because have you not noticed that in any committee you have been in, when an issue comes up, the first person who speaks, whether pro or con, usually carries the conversation that way. If whatever the issue is, if, if it's a negative statement, then people, that's right. If you're bold enough to say that as the first person, then you must be right and people will naturally gravitate to the negative. But the positive also works equally well. The first person to speak Peter carries the day. As, as he does when Jesus say, says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Remember what scripture says? Well, they all knew he's the Christ, but they're afraid to answer. They're afraid to confirm that. And so Peter just blurts it out. So what I'm saying is, don't be afraid to be the first person to speak. 
especially in a group setting, when somebody says, God is dead, right? When the negative about Jesus comes out, we need to be ready to counter that and to share the truth. We need to be able to share the words of eternal life. Peter speaks the positive and no other disciple dares challenge what Peter's saying. Then Jesus replied, verse 70, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. One of you is the devil. One of you is plotting directly against the will of God. Now, keep in mind that terms like the devil or the antichrist are often used to speak about one person. In fact, the way the Bible uses the terms is that everyone who rejects Jesus is a devil. Everyone who rejects Jesus is an antichrist. What does the word anti mean? Against. So, the Antichrist, you, you see it in Paul's letters and everything, the Antichrist is not a single person. It's everyone who is simply against Jesus. Does Jesus not say, you are either for me or you are against me? In other words, there is no, no possibility of riding a fence with Jesus. And that's why I think a preacher we all know and love just recently said you're either 100% in or 100% out. That's the way it is. It's not a little bit Jesus. It's not even mostly Jesus. It's either all Jesus or nothing. So don't be an antichrist. But instead be like Peter. Willing to speak for Jesus. To let others know exactly who he is. And there goes chapter 6. About six months to get through that, but we finally made it. <laughs> Lingering thoughts, questions, controversies on chapter 6. Now, I say chapter 6 was a big chapter because first verse of chapter 6 identifies we are at the Feast of Passover. Remember that? The second of three Passovers. Chapter 7 begins with the Feast of Tabernacles. Almost six months later. Explain what that is. I would love to. Feast of the Tabernacles is the Jewish festival, which, give you even a broader broader scope, there were three major feasts or festivals throughout the calendar year that every Jewish male was basically required to go to. So you had to leave work for a week to go to Jerusalem and be part of the festival. Three times. That's a lot, isn't it? Wow. So, Feast of the Tabernacles then celebrated Starting with Moses leading the people out of, well, after the parting of the Red Sea, the next thing that happens is 
the whining starts. And the first thing they whine about is, I'm thirsty, <laughs> I want something to drink. And so Moses takes a staff, smacks a rock, water comes gushing out. There's your water, leave me alone, right? So that miracle of the water, which is kind of essential for life, <laughs> right, is important. So this is a feast of celebrating water. And this is during the time of uh, uh, crops growing that need water. And so it's a, it, it's a water ritual, a week-long water ritual, ceremony, that there's all kinds of mechanics of this, but there's uh, the, the, the high priest, you know, it's all, all this religious overtone stuff, but the high priest goes, to, goes down outside of Jerusalem to the, there's a pool of water near the, the pool of Siloam, Remember where you had, to, you had to jump into when the water rustled to be the first one in to be healed? Uh, there's another pool there that was had sacred significance that you would fill a, a large cistern of water and then carry that back up to Jerusalem, go through. Believe it or not, they had a gate of water. It's called the water gate. Um, no. Uh, um, that, yeah, so that was the sacred door to go through to, to take this water to its destined spot. You would do that for six days in a row. Seventh day, you did it seven times. That exact same process. All very ritualistic and all, but celebrating the gift of water, which in a sense was praying for more rain for our crops and our life and so no drought and, and all of that. There's your thumbnail sketch. Been great if I could have said all that in Hebrew. A lot, a, a lot richer. So, verse 1. Here's an important thing that John continues to remind us of. Since Jesus is God, Jesus knows everything. So since Jesus knows that the Jews in Judea are plotting to kill him, Jesus makes the decision to stay in Galilee. Now again, if you look at your maps, he's up in Galilee in the north. Judea, Jerusalem, in the south. Okay, so I'm going to stay here because if I go down there, they're going to kill me. That's the public statement made. But as we discover, he goes privately in secret <laughs> and shows up anyway and then pretty much announces himself on the seventh day. So right in the middle of this ceremony of these guys walking up and down with these cisterns of water and all of that, doing all this stuff that they're doing, and so he's basically talking over them saying, see this water? I am the water of life. Right? If you come to me, you will never thirst again. So that, that's the power of it, the connection with this. This is the perfect time to be talking about water, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Now, verse 3. Sorry to all the Catholics in the room, but this is another direct statement that Mary and Joseph had other children besides Jesus. Uh, they're one of the foundations of the Catholic faith is that Mary remained a, a perpetual virgin. Had Jesus, which was not by the normal means, therefore she's still a virgin, and married Joseph, but nonetheless never had relations for their entire marriage. Uh, that's what they promote. 
Uh, there are numerous passages that say specifically that Jesus' brothers and sisters and Mary show up. This, this is one of them. So it's, it, it distinguishes between disciples and brothers. You know, one, of the, one of the things uh, Catholics do is, is generalize that and say that, well, everybody is Jesus' brother. Well, duh, but you can't ignore the words. They're clearly defined here. So it's, this is a different group of people than the disciples. His brothers show up. So the brothers try to push Jesus to go to Jerusalem, to the Feast of Tabernacles, and basically announce that, done, I am the Christ. Perhaps Jesus is resisting their suggestion because of what he says in verse 5. Jesus' brothers do not believe in him. Now that would be important, wouldn't you think? If you know somebody is working against you, then any plan they suggest to you is probably de devised to get you in trouble. <laughs> kind of, right? <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes, right? So Jesus, again, knows his brothers don't believe in him. But here they are pushing him to do seemingly the right thing. So Jesus is discerning enough to see the difference and realize I am not going to be part of this. So I am not going to do what you want me to do because you don't believe in me. Now, I don't think history makes it clear. I think there were five brothers, five, five half-brothers, and Lord only knows how many sisters. Um, but of the five brothers, I don't think history tells us what became of all five of them. Uh, Jude is listed as one. He's got a little letter in the back of your Bible right before Revelation. James is listed as another brother. He's got a letter in the back of the Bible. And the James, we don't know that much about Jude, but we know a lot about James. And this is definitely Jesus' half-brother. I mean, he even identifies himself in the letter as such. But more importantly, history bears out that James, in the, in the, in the first great persecution, it became, they were really after Peter as the head of the church. And so they basically forced Peter into hiding. We can't let them take our leader. So we've got to protect the leader, so we'll put you down in a bunker and, and hide you for whatever length of time it takes. And then James was second in command and took over at that point. So James was the, 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 the leader of the early church for several years. Uh, and obviously when you read his letter, he's got some things to say. So a uh, uh, very powerful force. But, so Jude and James were there. And John 7 is what I'm saying. And at this point, do not believe. Much like Nicodemus, remember, first encounter with Jesus, he didn't believe either. Well, we're going to come across him by the end of the chapter, right? Now he's, eh, I think he's coming around, right? So the brothers, obviously, did, you know, again, there's no, no indication of when that happened. Likely would not till after the resurrection, but then a couple of them got it. And that's pretty cool stuff. So basically, they don't believe in him. They don't understand who Jesus is. And they can't understand that, as Jesus is explaining, the time is not yet right. Now, have you ever noticed how important time is to Jesus? There is a time for everything. That sounds like kind of a little bit out of uh, Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? They made a song out of that back in the 60s, right? That's how important it is. So 
the 60s, uh, Andy, was a, was a time period, you know, long before cell phones and, uh, and, and uh, you know, just flying cars and uh, hoverboards and all that. So, okay, just, just wanted to, some of us can remember it. Yeah. 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 Gas was 19 cents a gallon and, uh, yeah, okay. So, just didn't, didn't want to lose you there. I, I, I saw your eyes glaze over. I, I thought you were, you, you, you thought I was uh, talking about some, some dream world or something. So. <laughs> so the time isn't right now if they believed in Jesus they would understand that but they kept pushing and pushing and pushing until finally that's it we're done you guys go see you around now here's the fun part the brothers obviously have witnessed the miracles of Jesus and again, harken back to what we just talked about. The danger of the miracle. The miracle rarely, if ever, leads to faith. It just leads to, well, I'm going to push you to do something bigger and better tomorrow. That's about all it, 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 it means. I mean, they even say about, they address the fact that he does the miracles. It's not a question of that. But it says even on that he doesn't, they don't believe, so... Probably the same group as already. He can make bread out of thin air. You know, he can yeah. multiply bread. That's about it. And that's all they want. Yeah. The physical. Yeah. And Jesus keeps pushing for the spiritual. So they're familiar with the miracles, and they keep pushing him that Jesus, you need to. This would be the perfect time. The maximum number of people are there to make the public announcement that you are the Christ. And of course, dazzle him with a couple pretty good miracles, just to seal the deal. They saw miracles, but they would not believe. So verse 10, as we get to the end, Jesus honors the Jewish custom and does in fact go to celebrate the feast. Again, this was pretty much Jewish law. Jesus is a Jewish male, therefore you've got to go. Now, we see Jesus do that a lot. Doing what was culturally prescribed even though pretty much he hated it <laughs> right doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do for crying out loud he was baptized for the remission of sin and he never sinned right yeah. so we that's that's a pattern with jesus um you recall uh in the, the first miracle turning water into wine remember mary come on jesus i know you can do it turn Turn, turn that water into wine. Let's, let's, let's get on with it. What's, what's did Jesus say? It's not time. Yep. Now, apparently, an hour later, it was. Because <laughs> he didn't wind up doing it. Right? Uh, so, you know, like I say, the, the timing. The, the timing might be only a minute or two off. It might be a week off. It might be a year off. But only Jesus knows when that exact time is right. So how many times has he said, my time has not yet come? So I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm, gonna, I'm not going for any particular purpose other than just going to fulfill this festival requirement. And yeah, in the end, I'm going to say something, but you're not going to see it coming. But I'm not going there because you want me to go there. I'm going there because it's the right thing to do at this time. Well, even think about his timing throughout everything from the 
people that he encounters. I mean, everything from the woman at the well to, yep. I mean, everything's almost like piece by piece, like clockwork for that's the miracle that, so I mean. That can't be coincidence. No, exactly. Right? exactly. It just, you know, the, the, you know, well, the, 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 the Samaritan woman at the well was, you know, he shooed the disciples away yeah. so that he could be alone with her, yeah. right? I mean, it's just because he knew she was coming. So, yeah, it's, it's all about the timing. And these, these brothers don't seem to get it. You and I need to get that. We need to understand that, that there is the right time. And the difficult part is, rarely, if ever, is it our time. We usually want it yesterday, and it usually is not till tomorrow till it comes. And that's that's for us Americans incredibly difficult to wrap our minds around. And so, unfortunately, we become a lot like Judas and try and force Jesus' hand. Yeah, I want this now. Here's, I'm, I'm going to help you, Jesus. I'm going to <laughs> grease those wheels. I'm going to get this baby moving here and do everything I can to, to make that happen as opposed to waiting for the clear signal that this is the right time. Verse 11. In fact, we discover that the Jews were looking for Jesus. He's come to other festivals. You're just here at Passover. You know, certainly he will be back again, so they got spies out looking for him all over the place, but can't find him. Verses 12 and 13, among the crowd in Jerusalem, there was an entire spectrum of opinions about Jesus. It was just like you know, the reporters going around there and asking everybody, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about it? So you have people who say, he's, he, he's a demon. <laughs> you have others say, he's the Christ. Some say he's a prophet. I mean, you've got the entire spectrum. and so there's, But there's no uniformity there. But there's at least one person of every point on the spectrum saying, this is what I believe about Jesus. That's really, really interesting. Some say that he's a good man. Others say he deceives the people. Sounds like a Trump <laughs> So, I want you to remember that Jesus experienced this great misperceptions of his words and actions the next time you are hurt by somebody who doesn't understand what you have said or what you've done. Even Jesus is not universally accepted. So, it's been a while, but hearken back to my very first sermon with you. I remember it well because in my first sermon it was about how we are going to love each other and so I specifically told everyone you have to love me I give you permission not to like me see it's, it's all coming back <laughs> right and that's the way it is so again you know, I mean because this is what happens so I'm, I, I, I am not here, never been here, to make you people like me. Literally couldn't care less. <laughs> right? Because if that becomes my goal, then, then that, that is my most important thing. And so that's why my, my entire ministry, especially when, 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 when children are young, you know, I could 
do everything I can to make people like me. And so I'll be at church every night. You know, I'll visit in your homes every night. I'll, I'll be away from home every night of the week to make you like me. And then my kids grow up to not only hate me, but, but Jesus, because Jesus took, took, took me away, away from you. So I, I just will, will not do that. So um, Jesus doesn't seem to be too terribly concerned with people liking him either. In fact, it seems like he's almost doing everything he can to offend people. <laughs> Right? So the last crowd, wait, wait to hear what he's going to tell these guys. It's like, whoa, man, we're having fun now. So verse 14, finally now, Jesus comes out of hiding and publicly teaches. And the people are amazed at how an uneducated man can know so much about God. It's good news for us. Again, you, you, don't, you, you don't need the formal education to really be an effective Christian to truly believe now look at what happens as Jesus starts to work the crowd the crowd has three questions scattered throughout here the three questions are Jesus where did you go to school second question where are you from the third question where are you going? I mean, three good questions. The answers are given. The answer to the first question of where did you go to school? In other words, where were you educated? The answer, heaven. The second question, where are you from, Jesus? Answer, heaven. And now for the third question. Where's Jesus going? Heaven. You're getting ahead of me here. So, yes, right? The answer is the same for, for all those questions. As diverse as those questions are, the answer is the same. And that's what he's doing. He's explaining each of those in an effort to establish his authority. Because now by verse 16, it's getting exciting. Jesus declares that there... There are power in his words because he is not speaking for himself. He is simply sharing the truth of God. Then he explains that you should be able to tell who is preaching and teaching the truth of God or simply trying to make themselves look good. There's a huge difference. So question becomes, have you been able to distinguish that? Because it's easy to eloquently speak without any substance, without Jesus. And there's been a lot of supposedly great preachers over the years that really have a lot to say, but nothing about Jesus. And that's, that's the danger. And that's what Jesus is telling. You gotta be able to figure this out. Listen to my words. Notice he's not doing any miracles be the most disastrous thing you could do at this point. Huge crowd. Just listen to my words. Does it not say that these words will save us? He says that. Then he accuses them of trying to kill him. Well, that's zero to 100 pretty fast, isn't it? <laughs> See, because... The big issue at hand and what the crowd and the Pharisees are dealing with is 
And what they can't wrap their minds around is, by whose authority is Jesus teaching? I mean, it's, it's that way today, but it was really this way back in the day. That you could only have authority because someone gave it to you. And in terms of religious teaching, it had to come from a rabbi. So they're asking, yeah, who, who was your rabbi? Who taught you Jesus? The answer, I learned all this in heaven. <laughs> right? So they're talking completely different language here. And these people aren't getting it at all. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that his authority of God because he's from heaven and he's been commissioned by the Father. Jesus has the authority properly conferred upon him. It just doesn't happen to be in the way that the Pharisees want it to be. The supposedly normal way of receiving authority. And to that, the crowd responds, you are demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Okay. Verse 24. A great statement. Stop judging on mere appearances and make a right judgment. Now, what in the world does Jesus mean by that? What does he mean by judging on mere appearance? Talking about the outward appearance of him. Okay, so is it possible for any of us to project an outward image of being Christian well, and not being a Christian actually? Pharisees said they tried to do that. Aha. Uh -huh. That's why Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, yeah. right? Okay, so it is possible. So he's saying, so don't just look at the outside. And again, that's what the Pharisees standing right there. Because they had all the, the, the religious accoutrement of religiosity. In fact, Jesus points out, you can tell a mile away one of these religious guys is coming at you. You can even tell to the degree to which they are religious. And all that means nothing, he says. So if that is possible to happen, and obviously by what Jesus is saying is that's not what we should be looking at, what does he mean then when he says instead make a right judgment? What is the judgment then based on? What is the discernment based on if it is not on outward appearance? Okay. Where is your heart? Again, that, that, that sincerity of intention that I spoke of earlier. That's what's important. So that a, a sincere effort, even failing, you still get maximum bonus points with God. As opposed to, I'm just doing this to look good. So again, it's all about the spirit, about what you really are trying to accomplish. Make a right judgment about people. Verse 26. Not surprisingly, the crowd is now in an uproar. <laughs> yeah. 
and go to where they always go. We know that the Christ will we know that the Christ will come from where we don't know, but this man we know comes from Galilee. Right? So in other words, Jesus the Christ is supposed to appear from someplace we've never heard of before. This guy's from Galilee. But as it goes, then they, they kind of further define that. The Pharisees step in and say, wait a minute, no, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. But Jesus is from Nazareth and Galilee, whole end of, other end of the country. Uh, wasn't Jesus born in Bethlehem? <laughs> yeah. They didn't, didn't, didn't do their, their spy work quite as well as they should ought to. Right? Yeah, there it is. Where's Fox News when you need them? Check those facts and then check them again. So, there is a good place for us to stop tonight, and we will pick it up there, approximately verse 28, and continue on. We've got a lot more to go in this chapter, but it is pretty wild and crazy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.